And good to be here this afternoon. Looking forward to the week together. Um, had a great crowd this morning, good crowd this afternoon as well, and a crowd of good people. Appreciate you guys uh, being here and, and uh, working together with us here in this meeting. Appreciate to the elders here the invitation to come and to speak uh, and be a part of that part of the service through the week and and we've been looking forward to it for some time i hope that the studies will be beneficial to you we're looking at some things out of the old testament and and some stories out of the old testament a couple of things i want to try to do this week number one i want you familiar with the story secondly i want you to be able to take some application from those stories and use it for uh your christian walk uh in modern times and uh i think there's a lot of things in the old testament that could be a benefit to us romans chapter 15 and verse number four says for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope and those things were written so that you and I today could could take lessons from them and have hope today we learn a lot about the character of God in the Old Testament how God dealt with man the importance of obedience things like that in these Old Testament stories and so this morning we looked at the story or introduced to you the story of Elisha uh, it runs from 1 Kings chapter 19 to 2 Kings 13 we left the story this morning in 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. And I want to just review with you for just a moment. Uh, there's some in the crowd that were not able to be with us this morning, etc. And kind of get you up to where we're at in the story. We started off uh, just simply looking at the two different characters between Elijah and Elisha. Two different individuals. Uh, Elijah was the prophet of God that was in the... He was in a cave and he was saying, Woe is me, I'm the only faithful one. I'm the only one left. You might as well take my life, God. And God said, Get out of the cave. The people of God need a prophet. And they need you. Get out. And I want you to go anoint another individual named Elisha to be a prophet. In fact, there are some 7,000 faithful individuals there found in 1 Kings chapter 19 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. They've not been unfaithful to me. They need a prophet of God. So he goes out and he finds, uh, he's told here in 1 Kings 19 verse number 16, Elisha is going to be a prophet. I want you to anoint him to be a prophet. Uh, He goes out there and and finds Elisha. Elisha's plowing. He's farming in a field, and uh, which would probably not be unusual for an individual of that day, but he's out plowing, and he casts his mantle on him, and and uh, and calls him ultimately to be to follow after him, to minister unto him. He runs after Elijah. He says, "Let me go to back, say bye to my folks." When he goes back to say bye to his folks, he has a barbecue and boils the flesh of the oxen. He's not going back to farming. So we talked about the fact that he was called to be a prophet, and he was called to be committed to be a prophet, and he was committed to the cause. Even the instruments of the oxen, uh, etc., were destroyed, etc. He wasn't planning on going back to farming. He was committed to what it was to be a prophet of God. Second Kings chapter 2, he was called to be present committed. We talked a lot about the stories where Elijah said, I'm going to go up here to Bethel. I'm going to go up here to Jericho. I'm going to go up here and you stay right here. And he said, I'm not leaving your side. And we also talked about the fact that uh, Elijah asked him and said, you know, what good thing would you like to see from me? And he said, you you know, remember when you parted the waters and they, they went through and we went on dry ground? He said, I'd like two of those. He said, I'd like a double portion of that spirit. And ultimately where we left is Elijah was cast up um, or was taken up there in Second Kings chapter 2. Um, he, and the mantle of Elijah fell down. He caught it. He's standing at the banks of the river Jordan and he's in grief. And the way we know he's in grief is the old, the old King James verbiage says that, that his clothes were rent in two. He, and that was 
was a symbol of grief or mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. He was in despair over the fact that his mentor was now gone from him. And that we, we pick up the story there in 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, beginning of verse number 12. Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes, rent them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah and, that fell from him and went back and stood at the bank of the river Jordan or stood at the bank of Jordan. And, and he's really got a decision to make. He's been called to be a prophet. He's been called to be a committed to being a prophet. He's been called to be present and committed to be a prophet. But now his mentor's dead. He's died. He's gone. He's, he's by himself. What's he going to do? And I'll tell you what he does. He's, he's rending. He is sad. He's in grief. He's in stages of grief, we might say, in our modern culture today. But in verse number 14, he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. He smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. You know what he did? He went to being a prophet. He went to doing the thing he was called to do. The thing that he had committed himself to. The thing that he was 100% all in with. That's what he went to do. He went to be a prophet. And even though he went through difficult times or tribulation or, or sadness or grief, it didn't stop him from what it was he was committed to do. And I will tell you, we're going to have some difficult times in our life. We're going to go through faces and challenges. You're going to commit to something and it's going to be challenging. Uh, the commitment that you make. It's going to be challenging for you to uh, to uh, see your way through sometimes the darkness and clouds and despair, etc. But what we need to do is hold true to the commitment that we made. And we need to keep walking, put one foot in front of another, keep doing the things God's called us to do. Now, as we walk through the story of Elisha, there was the story of the woman with empty vessels, the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. Deadly pottage, 20 loaves of barley and corn for 100 men. Kind of reminds you of one of those New Testament stories. You remember in 2 Kings chapter 5, the story of Naaman. Naaman had leprosy. We start off the very chapter, 2 Kings chapter 5. He had leprosy, an incurable disease. And he had somebody came to him and said, you know, there's a prophet of God in the land. You need to go see this prophet of God. Well, he comes to see the prophet of God the prophet of God sends a messenger out to him or a message out to him and says, go dip in the river Jordan seven times and your flesh will come back to you. Well, he's mad. The old English term says he's wroth. He is, he's upset. He's mad. He's angry. And he said, are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May not wash in them and be clean. So he turned and went away in a rage. He's upset. He had a handmaiden that came to him and said, if he'd have bid thee to do some great thing, you'd have done it. How much rather than when he says, go dip in the river Jordan seven times? And Naaman was kind of like a lot of us sometimes. We rush to judgment or we rush to get angry at something and then we kind of think about it and go, well that really was foolish because I got mad but I went away and I still had leprosy. How about I just go try to do what the prophet of God told me to do? And so he goes and dips himself seven times in the river Jordan. His flesh came back to him as the flesh of a little child. Y'all recall the story of Naaman. Uh, the floating axe head. Here's a piece of iron floating which you would think normally wouldn't. One of those miracles that we find taking place kind of like the waters parting and that kind of thing. There's a comedian out in Branson that, that talks about the floating axe head and asks, did that axe head sink? Did that axe head sink? And no, the axe head didn't sink. That's the story that that comedian gets that from. 2 Kings chapter 6 is where we got the title of our sermon. 2 Kings chapter 6, let me kind of set the stage for you as to what's taking place. 
Elisha now has a helper, and they've gone into a particular city called Dothan. Now, while they're in Dothan, his helper looks out the window, and I kind of picture it in my mind as he's looking out the mini blinds, and he looks out there and he's surrounded by an army. Now, what happened is, is the king of Syria is upset, and he, he calls all of his people together, and he says, every time I try to go to battle, everything I try to do, somebody keeps telling me, to, or keeps working it to where it, I don't get it accomplished. It's like somebody knows what I'm thinking when I go to bed at night. And he asked his servants, you know, what is this thing? And they said, well, there's a prophet of God. He's telling the, the children of God what to do and what not to do. He's the one that knows what you're thinking of. And that's found in 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's start reading in verse number 12. Therefore the heart of king Assyria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that's in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore Therefore sent he hither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Now, to me, that's one of the funniest phrases. Y'all may not have a weird sense of humor like mine, but that's a funny phrase. Is the, the servant's looking out. He's in Dothan. His servant's looking out the window and he sees they're surrounded by horses and chariots. Well, that's because that king came to get him. And he surrounded the entire city and he's fixing to come get him. And, and he, he looks at his master and he says, Alas, how shall we do? And it kind of reminds me of Nigeria. I do not know. I, 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 how shall we do? That It's just funny to me because he's going, We got trouble here. We've got a problem. And hearken, hark, we've got a problem. Alas, how shall we we do and and I want you to listen to Elisha's answer Elisha says fear not for they that be with us are more than they that be with them fear not for they that be with us are more than them well you know his servant had to go you're nuts you are crazy now that's not King James by the way the you're nuts part he, the they totally the, the servant had to be going you, you've got to be losing your mind you've got to be crazy it's impossible for you to be thinking that we've got more people on our side than they got with them there is two of us there's a whole host of them we're in trouble alas how shall we do and he says fear not for they that be with us are more than they be with them Now, there ought to be a little bit of comfort in that because I want you to notice what happens after that. Immediately following that, in 2 Kings 6, verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. You know, they're worried. The young servant's worried. Uh, You know, there's two of us. We're surrounded. What are we going to do? And he says... Lord, open his eyes that he can see what's really going on here. And the reality is there were flaming chariots and horsemen all around Elisha. There was nobody going to hurt Elisha. There was nobody going to do with anything with Elisha that God didn't want done. 
And I also want you to notice there was something else happening here. There was something spiritual happening here that the young servant did not recognize. The young servant saw the physical. He saw the obstacle. He saw the army surrounding him. But he did not see the spiritual aspect of God working through these things. He did not see through spiritual discernment or through an eye of faith. He didn't see God in the picture. And the prophet said, don't fear. For they that be with us are more than they would be with them. And when his eyes were opened, he began to see there was something spiritual that was taking place. Now this morning... We looked at some lessons to be learned. We talked about the fact that even a, uh, a prophet of God uh, taken from a farmer can be used for the kingdom of God. In fact, God used fishermen and carpenters and physicians, tent makers, even slaves and persecutors of the church for his cause. And God can use us for his cause as well. We talked about the fact that God asked us to be committed, to be all in. And we talked about uh, that passage in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12 that said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for the academy of faith putting me into the ministry. Are you counted faithful? Are you counted as faithful, committed to the cause? Elisha was all in. He had boiled the oxen. He wasn't going back to farming. Are you faithful to the cause and to the calling that God's asked you to, to respond to? God's asked us to be present. We talked about this morning the, uh, as well as this afternoon that the, that the prophet of God said, I'm not going to leave your side, Elijah. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be present. He was present when Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind out of heaven. Present and accounted for. We talked this morning about how we need to be present, how we need to love what it is we do, love the brotherhood, etc. And I think there's some lessons we can take from this afternoon's uh, message as well. And I want you to think and consider a couple of things with me for just a few moments. One is, is that he's standing by the River Jordan, he's rent his clothes, he's in sadness, his mentor's gone. He's, he's going through what we would call a difficulty, bad time, a tragedy or something, at least from his perspective and the physical perspective. I want to encourage you not to lose faith in bad times. What he did was he went back to being a prophet. He didn't give up. See, the all-in commitment was really all-in, whether it's good or bad, whether, whether it's good times or, or, or rough, rough seas, as we say. We talked a little bit this morning about making an application to marriage. You know, a lot of times we stand before the preacher and we say, in sickness or in health, right? In poverty or in wealth, or richer or poor, those kind of things. Well, what are we all thinking? Richer in health. We're thinking good times. But the reality is life doesn't always work that way. Sometimes there are difficult times, tragedies, and and sad things that you have to go through. Are we all in only until there's a bad time? Are we all, all in only if everything goes our way? Is our vow to our spouse or our vow to God or our vow commitments that we make, are they only, well, only if there's not a problem along the way or a bump along the way? Are we all in regardless, even through the bad times? I want you to notice this scripture in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 4 that says, So that we see ourselves glory for you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in your persecutions. In your persecutions. I just want you to notice that phrase. In your persecutions. Even when you're going through a bad time, you still had faith and you still had patience. You still had what you needed to stay strong to God. Even when you were going through difficult times. And I want to tell you guys, there's some times that are difficult. Maybe you're going out evangelistically and you're trying to preach the gospel to the world. And not everybody's going to listen to the gospel. Do you just give up because somebody says no? You remember 
Christ's words here in Mark chapter 6, verse number 1. He says, if they don't receive you, they don't hear you, then do you depart from thence? You shake off the dust from under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto them, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. What did he tell them? Knock the dust off your feet, go to the next town. If they won't listen to the gospel, go talk to the next person. Don't waste a lot of time on somebody that's not interested in hearing it. If you're going through a bad time, don't get down about it yourself. Just keep working, keep doing, keep going. But a lot of times that's not what we do. It's not the human thing to do. We get down, we get discouraged. I'm not standing here today above that myself because I can tell you there's times I've had to kick myself in the rear and say, keep moving, keep walking, keep, you know, this is not fun. These are not good times. But the reality is we need to keep walking. And I want to encourage you as an audience today, and any time a speaker gets up in front of a group of people, there's any kind of... Uh, background or situation or group that you're talking to. I don't know all your backgrounds, but I can tell you that chances are there's some of you in this room that's gone through some difficult times. I don't know what that would be. Maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe you've gone through very difficult spiritual circumstances. Maybe you've struggled spiritually. Maybe you're struggling now. I don't know. But what I want to tell you today is to keep walking. Keep one foot in front of another and keep walking. Don't give up. You made a commitment to God. Follow through with the commitment. Even when it's stormy and cloudy and you can't see all the way, keep doing that which you've been trained to do and do it. And I want to encourage you to walk by faith and not by sight. It's really easy to get caught up in the obstacles that are around us. That's what the little servant did with Elisha. He saw the mountain. He saw the mountain full of horsemen and chariots. He saw... He saw the entire city. We're surrounded. Alas, master, how shall we do? That's what he saw. I want to encourage you, don't get caught up in what you see in the physical. I want you to walk by faith and learn to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. That's easy to say. It's an easy scripture to quote. It's a totally different thing to do. I want to tell you, walking by faith is a challenge. And it takes depth and it takes maturity to do that. I want to talk to you about the fact that you need to look beyond the problem and see God's answer to the problem. Whatever that situation is. You're going through difficult times. You're going through struggles. Look beyond the struggle and see God's answer to the problem. Maybe you're going through divorce. It's real easy for people to get caught up and go, whoa, it's me. I'm I'm the only person that's ever had these kind of difficult things ever happen. I want to tell you, you're not the only one. And I want you to look through the problem and see God's answer to the problem. See the answer. See God's perspective and walk by faith, not by sight. And do not fear. That was Elisha's answer to him. Don't fear. They that be with us are more than they be with them. Don't fear. I'll tell you that's real simple to say though, isn't it? It's a whole lot different to do. But let me tell you, fear does some strange things. Proverbs chapter 28 verse number 1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You know what fear does? Fear makes you flee when no one's pursuing. Fear makes you do strange things. Fear will make you do things that's not even logical. And there are people that go through difficult times, they do strange things that they wouldn't have normally done. And a lot of times it's because they're afraid. They don't know the next step to take tell you something else fear does. Fear paralyzes. Sometimes rather than do a crazy thing, people just don't do anything. They freeze up. They don't know what step to take. If I take this step, it doesn't look good. If I take that step, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good on all sides because all we see is the mountain in front of us. 
we don't see through the eye of faith. Hebrews 13 and verse number 6 says uh, that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what men shall do unto me. And we need to have that confidence in the fact that if God is on our side, we're, we're way ahead of the game. God in me makes a, makes a majority. The fact that I'm doing what it is that God's asked me to do. I've got a team of people. There's more people on my side than what's on the other side. Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalm 3 and verse number 6 says, I'll not be afraid of 10,000s of people that have set themselves round about me. Uh, That's the psalmist David. He says, I don't care if I'm doing what God's asked me to do. I don't care if there's 10,000 people doing something different. I've got confidence in the fact that what I'm doing is what God's told me to do. And I'm going to walk through that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14. I want to encourage you to learn to walk or look through the eye of faith. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, but they are foolishness unto him, the Bible says. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now I want to talk to you about a concept that's just difficult for us to to explain even. It's difficult to understand. And that is spiritually discerning things. There are some things that can be spiritually discerned that we don't see if we live in the physical, if we live looking at the obstacles. Now, the servant of Elisha was seeing the obstacles. He saw horses all the way around the city. We got a problem. Alas, Master, what, how shall we do? And he says, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they be, that be with them. And then he said, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. And then his eyes were open. And he saw... In fact, something that was happening that really couldn't be seen with the physical. It could only be seen through the spiritual. And that's where I got the title of the sermon, Blind to the Blaze. Because the servant boy really was blind to the blaze that was around Elisha. He didn't see chariots and horsemen and more people on his team than on the other side. And I will tell you there are some things in our life that cannot be explained and cannot be understood through the physical. Let me give you one. And this is just a simple Bible verse. But you don't understand this verse living in a physical realm. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. That verse does not make sense in the physical. And it cannot be explained in the physical. It doesn't make sense in the physical. But if you look at it through an eye of faith, it makes sense. It's understandable. It gives comfort. I want to tell you guys... uh, A little bit of a uh, personal story, and some of you know these folks, but, you know, there's not a day goes by. There's a few people in my life that really, really, truly have meant a lot to me. One of those was a little lady stood about yay tall, if I was standing down there, stood about yay tall. And my family called her Mama. Her name was Vera Fleming. She lost her husband in 1947. My dad was seven years old when when his dad died. My dad essentially grew up in a house without a dad. Uh, He has some memories of his dad, but pretty limited memories of his dad. Had an older brother, a couple older sisters kind of thing. My grandmother stayed single, never remarried, and lived to be 84 years old, died in the late 80s. I knew her well. She was the kind of grandmother that I didn't have on the other side. She was the kind of grandmother that we went to go spend weekends with. She'd spoil you to death. She'd share Bible with you. She's just a fantastic, virtuous Christian woman. And faithful to church there every time the door is open. I mean, that kind of person. Just a fan. And there's not a day goes by I don't think about her. 
But you know, there was a time she died. And I sat at her bedside and watched her last breath come out of her body. Gone. What do you do when you go through difficult times? You just give up? Say, well, you know, this Christian thing, that's just not much fun anymore. What do you do? I'll tell you another individual that meant a lot to Lisa and I when we were first early married was a guy by the name of Sam Potter. Some of you in this crowd probably remember Sam. What amazes me is the older I get as to how many people have never met Sam. Uh, and it just speaks to how long he's been gone and how, how uh, the generations change. Uh, but young folks will be going, I heard that name somewhere, you know, kind of deal. And I will tell you, Sam was a bright, sharp mind, very happy person. He and Donna were great influences to Lisa and I when we first started doing church work especially. I spent a lot of time in their home and a lot of the singing instruction we're going to do this week is stuff I stole from Sam years ago, you know, kind of thing. Stuff he trained me in. Um, There's not a day goes by I don't think about Sam. The things he taught me or trained me in or that type of thing. Not a day goes by. And I will tell you, our preacher powwows, Michael will tell you this too, have never been the same since Sam died. And Sam died in 1996. And our preacher powwows are still enjoyable get-togethers with other preachers, but they're different without Sam in the room. Sam's no longer with us. A couple of years ago, I lost a good friend. And Justin Springer, many of you know. Um... Justin was a guy, I never really knew him growing up. I remember a time Kathy, or Kathy, uh, Karen came up to me at a brotherhood meeting and said, I've met this guy and he wants to be a preacher. And she was all excited. And I had never really been around Justin much. Justin moved to our part of the country and over the years built a relationship, uh, a real good friendship. And we worked in Nigeria together. We had been in the mountains in the jungle of Obudu together in a hut with 100,000 eyes staring at us through the little cracks in the hut and on a dirty piece of foam that was about yay thick and we both hadn't bathed in a week and we stunk. And it's that kind of bond. You've been in the trenches together kind of thing. And there's not a day goes by I don't think about Justin to this day. But I will tell you that when... Justin passed away I'll tell you there's not a there's a lot about church work that's changed for me because there's some of this that's just not as fun as it used to be anymore because Justin's not a rep to share it so what do you do just go well I don't want to do this anymore or do you go to work you're grieved you're sad, but do you quit? Of course not. You keep walking and you keep doing the things that you're supposed to do. But let me tell you something about Justin. Justin and I were very close friends, and most people were with Justin. Uh, but I got a phone call from Larry Fambro on a Wednesday. Justin, if you don't know Justin's story, Justin got pancreatic cancer. He's younger than I am. He was a couple years younger than I am. And in December, he called and said, I've been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. They basically gave me six months to live with no treatment, gave me 12 months to live with treatment. He took treatment. He lasted about nine months. A long nine months in a lot of ways. 
But one Wednesday, he got a phone call. It was Larry Fambro on the phone. He said, I took Justin to the doctor this morning. Karen was having to teach college class that day, and she wasn't able to be with him. And So he took him to the doctor, and he called, and he said, the doctor said, cancel all treatments and everything. It's over. The numbers are out of whack. Um, his Billy Rubin count, I'm always hesitant in the crowd. There may be nurses in the crowd, so if I'm off on the numbers, forgive me. But uh, his Billy Rubin count is going up, and that means his liver's not functioning right, and it's really over. He said his Billy Rubin count was at 8,000. They said if he gets to 20,000, he loses consciousness, and he will no longer be with us if he hits 20,000. That was on a Wednesday. By Thursday, he was at 10,000. By Friday, he's at 12,000. Saturday, he's at 14,000. Sunday, he's at 16,000. Monday, he's at 18,000. Y'all know what day is going to be a rough day for the family. Well, Sunday night, we went over to the hospital and visited with him and, and sat and visited with him for a little while. And, and he even was had a little bit of his humor running Sunday night. But on Monday, I didn't go over to the house because I felt like, you know, their family needed to be with him. He went home from the hospital on Monday, and, and, and I just needed to be a friend and be away as opposed to be there. But Tuesday morning, I went over to his house. He was sitting on the couch, and, and I said, Hello, Brother Springer, how are you? And he said, Hello, Brother Fleming, I'm okay. And he got up and he went over and he laid on the bed and in my presence never got back up again. I know that that may not necessarily be what the case was, that he may have gotten up a little later in that day and that kind of thing. But they were right. When he hit 20,000, he lost consciousness. And Tuesday was the day that that happened. And he died a week later, but basically he had a week of no consciousness. He had a week of, of... of not knowing anybody and that kind of thing. A really tough week. Let me tell you something about him. I saw a guy walk into death as classy and as with a head up, knowing exactly where he was heading as much as you can know in the flesh or knowing what's going to happen. He walked straight into it. What faith. What amazing faith. That a person can know that I'm hitting a certain time frame and walk straight into it and never lose faith. It is amazing to me. That's the kind of guy he was. And what a lesson for me. You know, he never quit walking when he was facing the obstacles of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff they comfort me. I've never seen anybody walk through. And I've been by the bedside of a lot of folks that have taken their last breath. I've never seen a person walk into it with his great class and character and graciousness and integrity and all of those adjectives you could put with it. Amazing. He knew who he believed in. And he was persuaded that he was able to keep that which he had committed unto him against that day. Now I will tell you from the physical side, which is where I was at, I'm in grief. I'm rending clothes in two. I'm sitting in sackcloth and ashes, which is natural and normal and not 
you know, I even hate to say some of that because in comparison to Karen and Jacob and Nathan and Mom and a few others, it, you know, I can't even imagine standing here saying I was grieving in comparison to them, probably not at all. But I was saddened. And I tell you, in all honesty, and Michael knows because about a year later he called me and he goes, just want to let you know it's been a year since Justin passed away. I go, thanks for the reminder. But, but I, you know, the problem was he and I were doing the same thing for the next year as every day we were thinking about him. And that day came and he, we were thinking about it. And, and all Michael was extended was an opportunity to talk about it. But he's gone. What do you do? Do you give up? You quit preaching because it's just not fun anymore. You know? And the answer is no. And I will tell you, you're going to go through some things in life that's just not fun. And it's going to be tragedy. It's going to be traumatic. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's other stuff. You guys know our family went through a deal about a month or so ago with the passing of Kathy. And I'll tell you, there's tragedy that happens. It just breaks your heart. Tragedy. But the reality is, you got to keep walking. You got to keep one foot in front of another. And you got to keep pressing and keep pushing and keep walking and keep living. God wants you to live. God wants you to live the moment you have. Redeem the time. And look at it through the eye of faith. In the case of Kathy, a transition to, to you know, what she's looking at on her side of eternity is much different than we look at it. You have to look at that through the eye of faith to understand that. In the case of Justin, would be the same. Justin's seeing a sunrise while we're seeing a sunset because we're looking at the obstacles. We're looking at Karen without a husband. We're looking at Nathan and Jacob without their dad being present. We're looking at the physical side. I'm looking at not having a friend. The kind of friend that you just don't come along, you know, doesn't come along in your life just every day. But the reality is, in the spirit, you understand it and you keep walking. You can't let the flesh take over. Maybe you've lost a child. I've never gone through that. Everybody in this room probably has a story. We've experienced divorce in our family that's broken our hearts. And I want to tell you, it ain't easy, but keep walking. Don't give up. Sometimes it's some of the hardest times you'll be going through some of the hardest times that somebody will say the stupidest thing. Don't let the stupidest thing that somebody told you keep you from keeping walking and serving God. Keep walking. Put one foot in front of another. Don't give up. What do you do when you go through bad times? Maybe your story is different than mine. And, and maybe in reality, I've not even suffered that much tragedy in compared to some. So I've been amazingly blessed in a lot of ways. But what does happen? You know, I cannot even fathom walking by a casket that my child's in. I have four daughters. I cannot imagine walking by a casket and seeing my daughters pass away. But there are mothers that have had to do that or fathers that have had to do that. Do you give up living? Or do you look at it through the eye of faith? Do you see the storm? Do you see the clouds? Or do you look beyond that and see God's answer? It'll help you walk through life if you'll open your eyes and spiritually discern things. Look beyond the problem. Look to God for the answer. You know, when you're going through a storm, one of the things that you do is you pay attention to the instruments because the instruments, if you're flying a plane, for instance, those instruments are supposed to be telling you what you can't see. 
And I'll tell you, God's Word is telling you things. Even when you think it's a storm, keep doing the things you've been trained to do. Three times a week in our part of the country, you guys get together during the week and all that. I don't know all y'all schedule, what events y'all do, but I guarantee you get together on Sundays and you practice what to do during bad times. That's what we're doing. That's what church is. How do we handle bad times? How do we have a perspective about bad times? How do we, how do we understand it or look at, look at things through an eye of faith? How do we perceive these things? I want to tell you, you're going to have bad times. There's going to be things that happen along the way. Don't give up. And don't quit looking to the answers. The answers are in the Word of God. The answers are not in the obstacles around you. The obstacles around you will divert your attention from the things you need to pay attention to. And that's keep walking. Keep following God. Keep doing the things you've been trained to do. There is spiritual discerning. There are some things that can only be discerned through the Spirit. Romans 8 verse number 31 even in the New Testament, it says, what, uh, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You know, that's essentially what Elisha told the young man. We've got more on our side than they've got on their side. If God's for us, who can be against us? And I will tell you, you've got God on your side. You're going to win this battle when it's all said and done. Romans 8 and 37, Nay, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. He's promised us the outcome. He's promised us the end. He never promised roses all the way through the, you know, the pathway because there are going to be some challenges along the way. But He's promised the end of the story. He's promised we'll win, that we'll be victorious in the end. But you have to spiritually discern it to come to that conclusion. I want to encourage you. Your faith may be shaken today. Maybe you're in the middle of a crisis. And I want to encourage you, don't get sidetracked by the crisis. Keep walking. Keep one foot in front of another. Keep moving. Keep pressing. Don't give up. Keep serving God. Look at things through an eye of faith. Spiritually discern things. Don't get caught up in the physical. Live in the spiritual. And spiritually discern. And God will help you. It will make a difference in your life when you walk through life that way. If there are more, more on your side than it's on the other side, don't be blind to the blaze. God's working. There is spiritual warfare that's happening out there. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, powers of darkness, etc. We're, we are in a spiritual war, and we need to spiritually discern what's taking place. Don't get caught up in what you're seeing out here in the physical. You need to pay attention to the spiritual things that are taking place. And take the lesson from Elisha. Open your eyes that you can see. And there is a band of flaming horses and chariots around Elisha that could not, he was not going to be destroyed. And I guarantee you, you won't be either. You know, these tragedies that come along, you know, in the case of Justin, for instance, you know, I grieve for Karen and grieve for those boys and, and for mom and etc. family. But you know, the reality is, and I told you the story of my grandfather. Those boys are not the only ones that's ever lost their father. My dad lost his father when he was seven years old and didn't have a father. My dad grew up to be a good Christian man. But let me tell you some things. Tragedy will either destroy you or it will teach you. And it will spiritually develop and mature you. And sometimes 
we don't let it spiritually mature us, we let it destroy us. Because bitterness sinks in, we get caught up in woe is me, you know, me, 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 I, I, I. We get down, we can't get out of the grief. The grief is not really natural grief, but it's excessive grief to the point that we get caught up in and we never, and finally we quit moving. There's no thrive to live. There's no foot in front of another. There's no pushing anymore. And then we see it in our kids and our grandkids or maybe our spouse or our marriage destroys or whatever because we get caught up in those things. And we need to be careful not to get caught up in the physical and that we look at it through an eye of faith and it will help us walk through some very difficult times. Tomorrow night we're going to look at about Elisha as well. We're going to go to the end of Elisha's life and we're going to look at some things that happened there with the king of Israel as well as with Elisha himself. And uh, So we're going to be at 2 Kings 6 through 2 Kings 13 basically tomorrow night. God bless you in your Christian walk. And I will, I promise you, Lisa and I this week, no, we're here to be used, we want to be used. I'm encouraged to see these young men, young ladies, and all that that want to be a part of this meeting this week. I want to encourage you to be involved, to learn, to develop your spiritual qualities and spiritual development. It's real easy for you sometimes to, to come into uh, a meeting like this and, and, it, and people think the physical, they think playtime or they think what... I want to encourage you guys not to do that. Learn how to develop spiritually. It will make a difference in your life. It will change your life forever. It will make you be the kind of people that God will be proud of, your parents will be proud of, and you'll live a blessed life for looking at things. It doesn't mean things won't happen to you. It doesn't mean you won't go through difficult times or hard times. But it will be the kind of things you'll handle in life. You'll maturely handle them as you go through them. And God bless you guys in that. God bless you all as a congregation. If you're hurting tonight, we want to take this opportunity and... And uh, maybe you're separated from God, need to be baptized tonight. You'll have an opportunity to come to the front, sit on a bench, and one of the elders will help you and assist you um, with that this evening. Maybe you're separated from God. Maybe you got to looking at the physical and you walked away from God. I want to encourage you to come home. I plead with you, come home. Come home. The song says, bring Christ your broken life. I want to encourage you, in whatever situation you're in tonight, bring it to Christ. Bring Christ your broken life. So marred by sin. Don't get caught up in the world. Bring it to Christ. He'll forgive your sins. You'll be white, clean as snow. White as snow, clean. You'll be washed in the blood of the Lamb. You have an opportunity tonight to walk out of these doors a different person than you came in. And that's in a decision that you make. Are you going to bring Christ your life, your broken life, your problems, your difficulties, and learn to develop those in a spiritual way? Are you going to let them destroy you? And I plead with you tonight as we sing this song, make a decision to come to Christ, won't you, as we stand and sing?